You are listening to the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA, an educational service agency that supports school districts in eastern Iowa with a focus on equity, excellence, and efficiency in education for all children. Welcome to the EdTech Takeout, the podcast that serves up bite-sized technology tips for teachers. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and this is Mindy Carney. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Mindy. Hello, Jonathan. We have a packed show today, I think. I think so, too. We've got a lot to cover. Yeah, so let's uh, jump in straight away and uh, do some follow-up from the last episode. I'm going to start with an apology for some listeners because I feel that uh, the last episode that some people listened to, episode three, may not have been the optimal episode depending on how quickly people access that one, because when I put it up there, there was one or two little audio snafus that uh, snuck into the final cut. And uh, once we find those, we recut it and set it out there. But um, yeah, if you're wondering why people were playing music over the top of Mindy and Amber, it was not on purpose. It was just me... um, messing up the audio. So we told you we were still learning as we go with this podcast. I think you did it on purpose, but it's fine. It's fine. You think I was trying to drown you out? Yeah, I do. Yeah, these episodes would be a lot shorter, Mindy, if I was doing it on purpose, because I would just cut out a lot of your stuff. (laughs) Oh, oh, and there it is. The honest truth. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Cheer us up with something, Mindy. Okay, so um, I have a follow-up to your auto-wrap from the last episode. And no, I did not create my own auto-wrap. Oh, Mindy. I know. I'm sorry, but I do have a good story. So my husband apparently listens to the podcast, and um, we usually take turns as far as who has to get up with our two young kids. We have a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And um, one morning I'm downstairs with the kids because it's my morning to be up on the weekend. And um, I get a text message, and it's my husband who has used auto-wrap, and he is wrapping his breakfast order. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all like, give me some eggs and some bacon. And it wraps the whole thing out and it repeats itself, you know, so it like kind of continues over and over again. So, um, not the best use of that technology. I didn't feel of course. Oh, I don't know. I I like that. I like it. (laughs) Um, but needless to say, he did not get his breakfast order. Man, he's gonna have to try harder. I wonder if there'll be an app on this episode that he could use to uh, request his breakfast next oh, week. I'm not telling him there's a new podcast coming out and just keep him in the dark. It's fine. Um, okay, so I got some more follow-up too. We had an email from Russ Knopp, and Russ is a retired teacher and current school board member. I think this was follow-up from our five things that we love because he suggested a website that I've not come across before, and it's called My eCoach. He says, I encourage you to take a look. It's a great place to create a website. It's the richest resource site he has found with lots of capacities that may not be readily obvious at first glance. So have you heard of my eCoach before, Mindy? No, but when we got Russ's email, I did um, take a look at it. And um, so that's what's fun about getting those kinds of emails. It kind of opens our world a little bit. And it's always fun to hear um, tidbits from our listeners as well. Yeah, there's so much out there that it's hard to keep up with everything, but um, we'll put a link to my eCoach in the show notes, and if you want to take a look, then you can check that one out. Yeah, and a few of my um, follow-ups, too. I got some great feedback from Sarah Jones, and she's in one of my districts in Marion, and I got a 
direct message from her that said that she had listened to the EdTech Takeout and she loved it. But she reminded me that uh, during my the sketch noting episode, how I was talking about how I'm not creative and that I need to have a growth mindset and keep in mind that I'm continuing to grow in my creativity. And you know, Mindy, even just since that last episode, I know that in the times that we have worked together on other things, I can see that you're made a, a real commitment to the sketch noting and you've really um, embraced that and you do some awesome sketch notes now. So maybe you should share some of yours in the show notes. Maybe I should. Oh, yeah, because I do have lots of sketch notes for our um, topic for today. That is for sure. Um, someone else who's been doing some sketch noting is Lynn Holverson. She tweeted out some of her sketch notes that she's giving a try. And I know Lynn Holverson personally. She's a very good friend of mine. But um, I was really excited to see that she was doing some sketch noting because she it's right up her alley. She's very much a visual thinker. She um, likes to think about things in different ways. So that was really exciting to see her kind of sharing it out. It's not so easy to share those new things out to the world very easily. And so I was really proud of her for doing that. I'm not sure I would have uh, shared my first sketch note, but uh, yeah, she did a great job. Um, definitely uh, took on board a lot of those things that Amber was talking about in the last episode. So that was, uh, that was great to see. Yeah, and uh, another piece of feedback we got was from Heather Callahan and Carrie Bullis, who actually both said something very similar. They were giving shout-outs for Seesaw, and I believe that was one of your tech nuggets in a previous episode, talking about blogging and Seesaw. Is that right, Mindy? Yes, yep. Yeah, so they both said that Seesaw is something they they love to use. Um, Carrie is is a PE teacher at one of our local school districts, and she said a lot of elementary PE teachers use that very successfully. And uh, Heather suggested we dive deeper into Seesaw in a future episode. So I think that's something we could absolutely look at, you know, those e-portfolio tools and options for teachers in in that arena. Yeah, we're always looking for new topics of um, podcasts. I mean, we haven't been at this for very long, but it's always good to hear what people want to hear about. So it was nice of Heather to say, hey, why don't you guys maybe do an episode on Seesaw? And we love those um, that feedback. So if you have something that you'd like to see or I guess hear about on our podcast, let us know. We would love to um, get that information from you. Yes, just email us podcast at gwa.org or find us on Twitter and we are more than happy to get all that feedback from you. Okay, so for our top five takeaways this week, we are going to do something that's a little bit different from maybe what we normally do, because this is more kind of a collection of ideas around some things that Mindy and I and the rest of the team have been doing recently, because we've been involved in a number of uh, professional development opportunities with our schools as uh, as a whole group. And we went to West Branch, we went to Washington, we were at Marion, we were at Benton, and Sometimes when we go to schools, we will do like whole staff uh, professional development and uh, with just one person. But uh, in these occasions, we were there as a whole team. So there was four or five, sometimes six of us out there at a district doing different things all at the same time. So that was a, a great experience. And we have some takeaways that we wanted to bring out from that. So uh, my top My very top takeaway from working with these districts um, just in the last two weeks was it's, first of all, really great to get out with the whole team. Um, And we all have strengths in different areas. And so um, that's what's great about it is that we're kind of able to differentiate for all of the staff members that are there and kind of share our um, what our strengths are. 
And it really gives people the opportunity to choose what they want to learn about. It's kind of like choosing your own adventure for professional development. So something that might be great for me might not be great for someone else. And um, I, it's fun to be able to offer those opportunities. And it's um, really it's really great to meet those people who are excited to be there too. They've come for a learning purpose. They want to learn more about it. And even as someone who's kind of delivering that presentation, I know that that person is there because they want to learn about what I'm sharing. Um, and so I can be a lot more direct and give a lot more information just about that one, one specific thing instead of trying to reach everyone in the group that might be coming from different angles or maybe are, it's a real reach for them to even be there. Another thing that I took away from those sessions that we did was just the ability to to learn from some others that work at Grandwood AEA. When we were at Washington, we did a, a conference-type schedule, but I wasn't presenting in all the sessions, so I managed to get out and see a couple of other things that I don't always get to go and see. And one of those was uh, visiting with Julie King. Julie works on the assistive technology team at Grant Wood here, and she talked about the ways that technology can be used for students with some kind of physical disability or learning disability in order to help them better access the curriculum. So what I think about um, assistive technology is that a lot of times we put it in that um, arena with special ed, but as general ed teachers, sometimes learning about those techniques are really powerful for our other students who maybe haven't been identified with a disability of some sort, but is really straight, really still a powerful tool for learning regardless of where you are and um, what your capabilities are. And so even going to an assistive tech um, you know, presentation like that, I guarantee you'll still walk away with something that'll be great for all of your students in your classroom. Yeah, she did a lot of great things to share, and we're going to see if we can get Julie on a future episode of the podcast, maybe just to share some of that with the listeners as well, because I think there's a lot of valuable information in there. And uh, speaking of valuable information, I also got to go and see one of my colleagues present, which is something that doesn't happen all that regularly, because for a lot of the time, we're presenting at the same time. We don't get to see each other, but I know we can learn a lot from each other, and I went to see our good friend Beth Swantz who was doing a presentation on research in the classroom and all the different tools that students can use to research and filter through the flood of information that is is out there online. I think she did a really nice job on that one. So we could probably link to her presentation in the show notes for them. Yeah, I'll get that from her. I'm sure she'd be happy to share it. One of my presentations was actually paired with another teacher. um, And she, the staff had requested to learn a little bit more about Class Dojo um, I had signed up to help with it because I have a little experience with Class Dojo. I don't have a ton of experience with it, but um, I was paired then with a teacher who was using it in her classroom, and it was so exciting to watch her kind of um, share her journey with Class Dojo and see how it was being so successful in her classroom and all of the positives that were coming from it. Um, just going in to look at Class Dojo myself, uh, I hadn't even scratched the surface at some of the things that it was capable of doing. Um, So it was really great to see teacher leaders um, stepping up to kind of share. And I think the um, classroom was really engaged just because they knew it was, you know, the nitty gritty, what they needed to know and and all of the ups and downs of her journey with Class Dojo. Uh, So that was that was a great addition to uh, the the professional development model that these schools have been running to. So the fourth thing on our list here is I was I felt I kind of inspired by a lot of the educational leaders that I I saw over these last three or four sessions that we did as well because they were really inspiring people who had lots of 
great things to say and were great examples of, of leaders in, in their districts. So I, I heard the closing keynote at Washington from Jeff Dix, who's the superintendent there. He had a fantastic job of just rounding up everything from the whole day, everything that went on. And, you know, he even went to some of the sessions that day and he talked about the learning that, that he experienced in those sessions and the things that were new to him and the, the future of Washington School District moving forward because they're moving to this one-to-one program and they're doing all sorts of awesome things with their with their students and, and what they would do going forward. So he was really great to, to listen to. I know we both are big fans of, of Joe Prusha at Benton and the things that she is doing down there. And uh, she helped organize a, a day down there with us. And we always have such great interactions with, with Joe and we meet her in other places, great conversations around what she's doing. She's really Again, inspiring um, educator and administrator that does great things at her district. She's a fabulous person. She, I love my job at Grantwood, but um, she's an administrator or a principal that I would just, I would go and work for, and just I would work for her because she's so inspiring. So that's a that's a big shout out for Joe, and I think we all feel like that. I completely agree. And when we were also at um, at Benton the director of education for the state of Iowa was there. So Ryan Wise came by to introduce the day and to sit in on some of the the sessions that were going on that afternoon too. So I think it was great that somebody from that level of uh, administration at a state level is is getting into schools at the grassroots and uh, experiencing what's going on there. We also really enjoy just working together to kind of figure out, you know, the different avenues that we're going to take and the different things that we're going to cover. Um, with Benton, they gave us the opportunity. Um, they really wanted us to focus on literacy. And so we got to go in and work with one of our lit consultants, Wendy Anderson, who's amazing as well, um, and sit down and work with her and learn new things from one another. And um, it was it's, it's great to work with those content consultants too and to have an um, academic focus and not just to go in and teach about tech, but to show how tech can be integrated in a really powerful way. The future of the PD that we do has to be in that kind of interdisciplinary approach because the people in those areas have such strong content knowledge in areas where we may not be specialists. For example, I know Mindy and I are maybe not going to be considered uh, specialists in the areas of math or science. I mean, we know a little bit about math and science, but we're not going to be able to necessarily talk as eloquently or as knowledgeably about it as as a curriculum content specialist. So, yeah, it was great working with Wendy, and um, I hope we do more of that in the future. All right, Jonathan, so it's time for the main course today. Serve to you piping hot. Today's podcast episode is all about formative assessment tools. Yeah, so this is one that um, may end up being a two-parter because obviously if you know anything about formative assessment tools, you know there are a lot of them out there and we do not have uh, time to do them all today, but we're going to hit some of the ones that we like and talk about why we like some of those things, but why do you start us off, Mindy? Sure, I will. I, um, I'm going to share one um, that I think is great for all classrooms regardless of how much technology you have, uh, Plickers is a formative assessment that anyone can use. So um, the way Plickers works is you just need one device, um, and then with uh, that comes 
card that has like a QR code kind of design on it, I guess, that is individual for, I think you can print up to 63 different ones so that each student would have a different code. And then um, you have to go in, and this takes a little bit of time, but you have to go in and set up your questions first. Um, and that's all web-based. You can't do that in the app. Uh, and you, so you go online, set up your questions, and then on your app, you queue up your questions. And those will show up um, on, you know, if you project it, they'll show up so that students can see it. And um, then they turn their card. So each side of the code has an A, a B, a C, or a D. And so you have to use multiple choice questions or you can do true-false too. Um, and you ask the question and the students have to turn their card so that like the A is at the top if that's what they want their answer to be. And then with your app, you scan all of the answers. And that information then um, gets saved. So you can save it into what they call a score sheet or you can project those um, live responses up on the board as well. So you can show it kind of as a graph, um, or you can just show which students have responded by numbers. Yeah, I think this is a great tool. It's one of those things, if you've never seen it before, it is just an awesome thing to see. I mean, I love showing Plickers to people that have never seen it before, because you just look at the faces of the teachers and they're like, What? <laughs> I know. I really? Love <laughs> yeah. And you just take your, it can be a phone, it can be an iPad, it can be an Android tablet or something. You just put the Plickers app on there and you literally just sweep around the room in a, in an arc motion to scan the other cards that the students have. And the camera on there automatically recognizes the card, who the card belongs to and what their answer was. And tabulates all that data for you in your account. Yeah, when you scan it, one of the things that I um, I don't think other people see because we're the ones that are often doing it is that as you scan it, if you're watching the screen, it'll show up green for those people who are getting the um, answer correct. And it shows up red like around the card kind of for those students who are not, you know, didn't get the correct answer. So you can set it up either to assign a card to a student or you can just hand each student a card and make it anonymous, but it doesn't necessarily have to be completely anonymous. It's super secret mode. You can still kind of um, keep like a mental checklist of, okay, well, Tommy, his is red, so he didn't get it correct, and maybe Johnny didn't either, and I'm going to touch base with those two kids. And so that's always kind of a magical little tool that's built in that only the teacher gets to see. Yeah, and the cards are free. You can get them free from plickers.com, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And you just print those off from a PDF. So if you need more cards, you just print them off again. I know some teachers will think about laminating these cards. And um, you can do that as long as you use a, a matte laminate because you don't want it to be reflective too much because if it reflects too much of the light, it doesn't scan so well on the app. I know in lower elementary as well, sometimes they'll put the student's name on the back of the card so that they can see who they are at a glance and just pass them out quickly. Or I've even seen some teachers write the ABCD on the back of the card so that when the student's holding it up, they at least know which letter is supposed to be up because the answers are on the front of the card. And when they hold it up, they're looking at the back of the card. So lots of different ways you can do this, but it's a really uh, super awesome app and we love it. Yeah, that's a good one. Give that one a try. That's great for any classroom, any classroom at all. 
Yeah, especially those ones that don't have access to much technology because some of these formative assessment apps that you'll try work best when every student has a device because they're all on the device, they're all taking the quiz at the same time and all getting that feedback and assessment going on. But for this one, you only need one device and that's going to be in the teacher's hands. The kids have just got these cardboard QR code type squares that get scanned by the teacher. All right. On to the next one. On to the next one. All right. Which one do you want to do next? You choose. I think we should do formative next. I think this is one of my favorites and probably one of your favorites too because it does so many different things and it's so quick and effective at at what it does. So formative is... It's the mother of all assessments. The mother of all assessment apps? Wow. Maybe they should put that on their website. I know. Well, I'm working on a deal. You're working on a deal. I like that. (laughs) So this is a great app because it it can be used on all devices, okay? I, I'm calling it an app. It's not really an app. It, it's a website, but it can be accessed on all devices. And it does so many different types of questions that that is one of the things that make it really powerful. With Plickers, it, it, it's really super awesome and great at what it does, but you're kind of limited in some ways just to your question types, which are multiple choice or, or true-false. Formative lets you do short answer text responses, you can do multiple choice, you can do true-false, you can have a whiteboard for students to draw their answers, and that is, I think, one of the most awesome ones, especially if you're using any kind of touchscreen or tablet devices. And um, you can add images to questions, or students can actually upload an image as their reply to a question, and that kind of blows my mind a little bit too. Yeah, and um, what I think is really cool is that as the students are drawing in that whiteboard view, you can view that on your screen and see what everyone is drawing at one time. Jonathan and I like to call it the God's Eye View. I'm sure they have a specific name for that. It's probably called the dashboard or something, but it's truly amazing to be able to see the students writing in real time so that you can kind of get some of that descriptive feedback right away so that you can go out to the students and say, okay, hey, I I see you're doing this. Let's get this fixed real quick or um, I just I just think that is the coolest thing. And the whiteboard thing, I mean, it works great on iPads. I'm, I'm a little iPad biased, as you may find out as this podcast goes on. But the, the drawing app uh, can be used on things like Surface tablets and things like that too. And it's awesome for math and science, I think, because in those types of things where, you know, that's sometimes hard to like type in an equation or draw the... Uh, cell structure or whatever they do oh boy you're talking math and and science as well i know (laughs) so (laughs) i'm hitting a double header here (laughs) so the whiteboard is is great for those types of replies because you can uh, have students you know work out multi multi multi-step problems on the on the whiteboard i mean you could even use it lower elementary to get kids to you know practice some handwriting type of things you can upload images and have students annotate over the top of them so you could upload a map and say, you know, circle all the mountains in this map or, you know, circle the capital cities or or different things. You can, any image that you can upload, students can annotate over and that can be the reply as well. Yeah, and I think you said too, um, and this was new to me because I, you know, only had one class, but the, you can assign the same um, assessment to multiple classes, right? I believe so, yeah. You can have multiple classes. So if you teach like a, a first hour, a second hour, a third hour, and so forth, you can do that one assessment and, and give it to different classes. Yeah, and one of the other things that I like about it that I often look for informative assessments is that it has like a community section so you can share ideas 
and um, you can add your questions and then you can grab questions from other places too. So um, sometimes that cuts down on time. If somebody's already created it, why, why create it yourself? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of teachers that are like co-teaching. You know, there's, I don't know, three fourth grade classes or something. You could take turns if you're all working on the same scheme of work where, you know, one teacher could create the assessment one week, share it with the other two, and then the next week the other teacher can create the assessment and share it back. And being able to uh, share those assignments between teachers is another reason why we think Formative is one of the best formative assessment apps out there. All right, what's next, Mindy? Um, well, we've got two left. Let's do, well, okay. Let's do Quizalize, even though I want it to be called Quizaliz. So um, a little bit about Quizalize. A Quizalize is a new one to us. We don't know as much about it, um, but we've wanted to share it just because it is newer and um, wanted to give it a little bit of a shout out so other people check it out as well. Um, one of the things we always look for for formative assessment is how many devices, what kind of platforms it can be used on, and a Quizalize can be used on any device, which is great. Um, one of the other things that I think is amazing about it, once again, is that it has a marketplace. So it lets you borrow other questions from other places, much like Formative does. And I always think that's great for teachers so that they're not wasting their time creating something that's already out there. So those are two great things about it. Um, one other thing is the math mode. And like Jonathan had mentioned, him and I, math, not great. So I'm not going to try and use any math words I don't understand, but it does have um, a setting in it that you can use that allows you to like write equations in that crazy math language so that it looks the way it's supposed to look. And that's um, kind of hard to come across. That crazy math language, right. <laughs> yeah, so there are lots of great things about this app, I think. Um, and maybe one of the features that is becoming more common in these types of apps is, is a kind of a gamification element because they have this new team game view that engage, they say engages all students of all abilities together because it kind of takes all the students in your class, splits them into two teams, and if you want, you can play the quiz live so that it's on a projector or something. And as the kids come in here and they're answering their answers correctly, they will see their names pushed towards a finish line in the middle of the board. And both teams accumulate points as they answer questions correctly. So, I mean, that's kind of fun. You might not want to use that in, in all types of assessments. It's, there's a time and place for things like that and for things like Kahoot that we maybe talk about another day. But I think it's a, it's a fun thing that can be used for reviews and, and different things like that. Yeah, and even though they're gamifying it, it's still somewhat self-paced. So you can, um, you know, the students go through questions on their own where um, with Plickers, it's all everybody answer right now. We wait until everybody's done, and then we move on. With Quizalize, it's a little bit more self-paced, although you can add a timer to it so students are only taking so much time for each question. Yeah, and I, I like the way that they, they break up the data that you get back from these things because, you know, it, it's great to have assessments that are fun and engaging for students to take, but at the end of the day, the teacher needs the data back on the students to help inform future planning and to help those kids along their educational path and, and meet them where they are. So one of the things that it does is it splits all your students up into like three or four groups where, you know, you've got the strong kids in one list and then the ones that are doing pretty well in the middle and the weaker ones in another list. So you can see at a glance, you know, who's getting this stuff, 
who's not getting this stuff, and who just needs an extra little push on there too. Um, you can break down the questions and see, you know, how many people answered the question correctly. So, you know, which was a hard question for the class? You know, is there one that we should revisit and re do some reteaching on before we, you know, do any further assessments on this? The only um, I would like to add, though, is that it also has an answer explanation, which I don't know that I've seen in any of the other formative assessments that we're talking about today is that when a student gets when a student gets an answer wrong, then a um, answer explanation will pop up. So it kind of gives them some instant feedback and maybe clarifies the question or um, gives information about you know why this is the correct answer, which I think is really nice for students. Yeah, that's a great option to have. Yeah, it's good to have that instant feedback. So let's do our last one for now. Uh, our last formative assessment tool that we're looking at today is an oldie but a goodie. It's Google Forms. It continues to evolve and have new features added to it all the time. So we thought we'd throw it in here and mention some of the existing features and some of the new features. So what do you like about Google Forms, Mindy? Um, I like that it has so many options of um, different ways for you to create your questions. So um, I like that you can add images, that you can add videos. Um, I think there's some other options in there. I'm not sure. I think there's something with like a graph too, right? Or something yeah. with you can do like Likert scales on a scale of one to five. How much do you like this? You can do multiple choice. You can do multiple answer. You can do short answers, choose from a list, all that good stuff. Lots of question types on there. Yeah, and Google Forms um, has changed a little bit. So um, you have the choice to be using the old Google Forms or there's new Google Forms too. Um, and so new Google Forms, I think, is starting to evolve a little bit because it wasn't quite where the old version of Google Forms was. Um, but one of the new features that I like with the new Google Forms is the Responses tab. And so you can go in and view all of the data inside the form, and it creates all these great pie charts, which I um, like for – I'm well, you might not know this about me, Jonathan, but spreadsheets kind of scare me. I've heard that once or twice. And so <laughs> – Spreadsheets kind of scare me and like all of the data, all in that, it's just not how my brain works. So um, what I like about this is that I can just go in and all of the, you know, all of the data has been collected and curated for me and I can view it right there in that one tab, which is really nice. Yeah, I was one of those people that were a little hesitant to move to the new Google Forms. I stayed on the old forms just for a little longer than maybe I could or should have, but I got, you just changed over. Let's be serious. That was this week, wasn't it? I have just changed over <laughs> this week. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit it. So I'm, I'm getting one over slowly. They're adding the features back that they took away in the new one. So um, we found out a lot about these recently from Richard Byrne, who's got an awesome website and a good summary of all these good features on here. And, you know, one of the good ones I think that is useful in lots of scenarios, maybe not when students are taking a quiz as much, but you can use Google Forms for so many different things, is the ability to get a notification every time somebody fills in the form, which is good because, you know, we've talked about scenarios where you might be doing that assessment in, in class, but I know a lot of people use Google Forms for things like a flipped classroom scenario where students are taking the form outside of class, so you might want to get a notification to see when they were actually filling in that Google form. So if you want a notification, I would think it sends you an email, just say this form has received a new response. There's an option you can check for that in the option to Google Forms now. So um, I know with the new Google Forms too, there are some form templates. So you can go in 
um, and find like there's an exit ticket that's already created for you and it has three questions. Um, I don't know them off the top of my head, but I do think one moment was like, what, what would help you learn more about this or how do you feel about this? And those are already created for you. So you don't even have to go in and create the questions. They're right there. And there's a couple different templates that you can use, which I think is um, pretty beneficial, especially if you want to hammer it out real quick. Yeah, there's a lot of great options on there. And, you know, we don't have to be a design guru to make your Google form look good anymore. So another thing that they added in the new Google Forms is the ability to use add-ons, which was something that was initially not an option. And one of the reasons why I was a little hesitant about moving to the new Google Forms, but if you've been using add-ons with your Google Forms, that is definitely an option now that is available in the new Google Forms. And one of those add-ons, not necessarily for forms, this is more for the spreadsheet side, but if you've never used Flubrew before, I would absolutely check that out because it gives you the ability to automatically grade a form submission from students. So if you create a quiz for your students with different types of answers, you go through as the teacher and you submit like an answer key, basically, by filling in the form yourself, and you tell Flubrew, these are the right answers, and then Flubrew will go back in and grade all the other student responses and send them an email with their results as well. It's more intelligent than some people think as well because you can make it case sensitive, for example, if you want to. You can, you know, give in some alternative words so that this is right, but this is also right. So, you know, it, it's, it's a really easy tool to use. You go into the spreadsheet and you add it from the add-ons gallery. It's called Flubrew. It has a really nice wizard that just walks you through all that kind of thing. And that really helps bring Google Forms on par with some of those other formative assessment apps that will automatically grade things for you. So great option to have. Yeah, it's like a grading fairy. A grading fairy? I like that analogy. A grading fairy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of waves its little wand and all your assessments are graded. It's nice. I came across a way of of using Google Forms recently that I thought was a really interesting way to use it, and that was to differentiate your assessments because in the multiple choice question types, there's a, a way that you can go to a page based on an answer. So if students get X number of questions right, you could say, now go to page two, and they get a different selection of, of questions about something else. If the students are answering wrong, you could say, go to page three, where they get more relearning, reteaching, and watching some videos on some things to help them get back up to speed and on where they want to be, and then send them back to that new learning after that. So little things like that are, are really interesting uses of it. I know we've talked to Carrie Bullis at, at Williamsburg, who's a PE teacher, and she uses Google Forms just to help collect data on her students while they're doing things like swimming. And she'll grade some of their performances and put that in a Google form and then, you know, shoot that data out to the students later with uh, some feedback on that. Yeah. And I think she uses like the checklist option, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great way to just kind of say, yep, I saw this. Yep. I saw this. Yep. I saw this. And then send it to, you know, your spreadsheet and send it to the students too, so that they have that feedback right away, which is great. But okay. So here's going to be the question. What if you're not a Google school? What happens then? If you're not a Google school, you can still use Google Forms with a, with a Gmail account. But um, if you're looking for another option, Excel surveys from Microsoft are great for Microsoft schools because it's part of that Office 365 environment. They don't offer quite as many features as Google Forms. But I'll give you a link to how to create something in an Excel survey in the show notes today.
All right. So to finish up the show, we're going to give out our tech nuggets. Tech nuggets. So Jonathan and I um, always give something new that we learned in the last month or the last week that we think other people will find interesting or engaging. And I think, Jonathan, you are up first today. Yes, I am. And I'm going to take this full circle kind of back to at the beginning when we talked about those PD sessions that we have been attending recently. And in one of the sessions, you know, I always encourage people to ask questions. And I was showing some Google Chrome extensions and I showed voice typing inside a Google Docs. So this is something you can do. It's a speech to text option inside of Google Docs where you can literally talk to your computer and have it type out the words. So we are used to that on our mobile devices these days, but you can do that inside of Chromebooks and Macs and PCs inside a Google Doc now. And the question the teacher asked was in relation to a foreign language. She said, could a student dictate foreign language, have that recognized inside of the Google Doc, and then translate it to English and then send it to me? I said, wow, I have no idea. I have never tried that before. So we kind of took five minutes out of our presentation there just to see if that was even possible. And as it turns out, it is. So for anyone that might have ESL students in their classroom, I want to just uh, pass this on as a, as a tip and something that you could take a look at. And it's very easy to do. First thing you need to do is in your Google Doc, you have to go to File and then Language. And you want to change the language to the language that the student is going to be speaking in. For my demonstration, I busted out some high school French. Nothing too impressive. It was just, uh, bonjour, je m'appelle Jonathan, comment vous appelez-vous? And actually, Google did a great job at, at recognizing that, and it brought it up on the Docs page. So once you get that up there, and you've got the student who has said everything that they want to have into the uh, Google Doc, you go to Tools, and then Translate Document, and you can choose the language that you would like to translate your document into. And it uses that Google Translate engine to analyze all the words on the page and translates it back into English. So it's a fairly niche example of that kind of thing, but I think there's an increased number of students with English as a second language in our classrooms today. So things like that could be really useful, whether they use the voice typing and the translate options, or whether they just type it themselves and then do the translate options. It can really help for uh, teachers working with those students. What a great use for that. And um, I think it also gives props to you for um, taking the couple minutes to actually do it in the moment and let people see how, you know, you figured it out. So well done you too. You know, I like a challenge. So I thought, hey, what's the worst that could happen? It sounds like there should be a way to do it. And yeah. as it turns out, there was. So yeah, it's awesome. happy to happy to do that. All right, Mindy, it is with your tech nugget. Okay, so um, the thing that I am predicting is going to take like a huge leap this year is this new thing called 360-degree videos. And um, I learned a little bit about it from Sylvia Duckworth, but um, have also seen a couple more things about it here and there. And so what a 360-degree video um, is, is they... I'm sure there, there might be other devices that do this, but I'm going to just talk about the one that Sylvia Duckworth talked about in her blog post is the Ricoh Theta S camera. And so um, what this camera does is you can just like set it, you know, in a stationary place. And what it will do is take video all the way around itself. And so it creates this video so that you can see um, all the way in all different directions of wherever that place is. Um, and so then I also saw that Google is going to um, be teaming up with the National Park Service 
so that they have 360 degree views in um, 40 different national parks and cultural sites, which I think is great for students and virtual field trips. Um, and I also um, looked uh, just on YouTube to see if I could find some videos that were already out there. And I used um, hashtag 360 video on YouTube and went there and saw these um, videos then that are interactive on YouTube. So you just use like the little joystick and you get to turn yourself around inside the video and um, see different places. So I think I like went to Mars um, and then I went to like a coral reef in um, Australia and just kind of gives you gives your students a different view um, in a much more real life way than just watching, you know, a video stream across the, uh, you know, big screen in your TV, but to actually be able to kind of choose where you want to look and to look more closely in different places. So I really think this is going to be a huge thing for education in the in 2016. Yeah, I think these are super engaging. I mean, they tie into some of those Google Cardboard types experiences. They're not quite as immersive, but they are much more accessible because you don't need any cell phones or any other type extra equipment to do it you can do it on different devices and and see how these work so definitely take a look at those 360 videos on youtube if you haven't seen them already i think they're a great way to open up your classroom and see beyond those four walls and and see things in a completely new experience or environment so um, we will definitely see a lot of those i know facebook is doing some 360 degree videos as well and those the camera that mindy talked about i have seen used in different ways and we'll link to some of those videos in the show notes yeah so keep an eye on that it's gonna be big for the final part of our show we may not do this every week but we did this thing with the podcast when we first launched it we recorded three episodes and put them out there up front and we sat back and waited to see what people's ideas and feedback were for the show and we are glad to say we've had a lot of awesome feedback so we just want to say thank you very quickly to some people for the feedback that we've had so we're going to say a quick shout out to Tracy Marshall and Frank Slaybaugh and Carla Conan and Joe Prusha for their support they are all great educators from the Grantwood AEA area and another local educator from our area is Heather Hansen who actually tweeted us to tell us she was spending her snow day listening to the podcast while baking. Aw, send us cookies, Heather. I know. I have a great image of that in my head. I think we should do more. Of I like those stories. I know. Me too. Um, and then another person we heard from was Barb Gilman. And um, Barb Gilman and I met at um, the National Catholic Educator conference um, a couple years ago, and um, she's also a great educator. She's a great educator to follow on Twitter, and so um, she also kind of gave us a shout-out and just said how great the show was and how much content there was and that the information was great. So thanks, Barb. Dan Gallagher has uh, subscribed and sent us a message on Twitter to say he's looking forward to future episodes, and we have had a lot of great feedback also from Heather Callahan. She's a tech integration specialist from Nebraska and also on the NETA board, so she's given us lots of great feedback and ideas and been very positive with everything we've done so far, and I hear from a little birdie that she even gave us a shout-out at a conference presentation on PLNs for Educators. Yeah, so thanks, Heather. That's nice of you. And it's always great to hear your feedback. It's fun to have gotten a couple of tweets from Heather. It's like, oh, she listened to the next episode. So um, thank you so much for that. And then I, I like made a new friend. I made a new friend and his name's Wesley Fryer. Have you heard of him? Wesley Fryer? Yeah. Oh, that Wesley Fryer? Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, Wesley Fryer. Yeah, right. 
right. Um, so Wesley Fryer, um, he also has a great um, podcast that you should check out. I'll definitely link it in our show notes. Um, and I enjoy listening to his podcast as well. Um, but he did lots of tweets about our um, episodes in the last uh, couple weeks and um, actually gave us a new hashtag, which is always fun when Wesley Fryer gives you a hashtag of your own. Um, and so it's hashtag EdTech. T-O for EdTech Takeout. So he said, hey, you guys need a hashtag. And so he started one for us. And you should definitely follow him at WFryer. It's F-R-Y-E-R. Um, lots of great information coming from him. He's got a great blog. Um, and his podcast podcast is definitely something that you should listen to, too. So um, definitely take a look at that. Yeah, we are extremely humbled and honored to be mentioned by Mr. Fryer, Dr. Fryer, I should say. Yeah, right. When you, when you, you should call him Dr. Fryer. That is true. Mm-hmm. I should. You and him are friends, but me and him. Brief. Well, yeah, I just call him Wesley. I, sometimes I call him Wes. But. Wow. Okay. You guys are really familiar. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dr. Fryer. It's Dr. Fryer. Yeah. Sorry, Dr. Fryer. Um, he has books and podcasts and a blog and a website and all kinds of awesome stuff. So if you enjoyed the show, we will again encourage you to subscribe in a podcast player of your choice and leave us a review on iTunes. We've had lots of really great reviews on iTunes, so maybe we can do some of those next week. It really helps get us found and discovered on iTunes. We were writing high in the new and noteworthy section of the educational technology podcast on iTunes for a while, so we really appreciate that. That only happens with your help and support. So... Tell your friends, share us on social media, and please send all your ideas and feedback to podcast at gwaea.org. Until then. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast. Podcast.